Welcome to The Smell Podcast. I'm your host, Katie Boiteng. This week, please listen in as I talk with Dr. Kelly Cockett. I first came across Dr. Cockett because I read a story that she published online called When You Stop to Smell the Roses and Cannot Smell a Thing. The story was published in Physicians Weekly on May 31st, 2018. I'll include a link to the article in the episode description. Dr. Cockett is an assistant professor with the Department of Internal Medicine. She's the Associate Medical Director of Infection Control and Epidemiology and the Co-Director of Digital Innovation and Social Media Strategy, all for the University of Nebraska Medical Center. She went to medical school at the University of Minnesota and completed a residency in internal medicine there. She has also completed two fellowships, one in infectious disease and the other in critical care medicine at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester. Dr. Cockett also has a very unique perspective to add to the podcast. She suffered with anosmia and has since recovered. Let's listen in. Welcome to the Smell Podcast, Dr. Cockett. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for coming on. Can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and your story? Where are you from? I am originally from northern Minnesota. I grew up very close to the western tip of Lake Superior and recently moved in the last few years to Omaha, Nebraska, where I work as an infectious diseases and critical care physician at University of Nebraska Medical Center. What got you into the medical field? Honestly, I ended up in medicine I think mostly because I was a fairly sick kid. Um, I had a lot of medical problems early on in life and was heavily exposed to the medical field. And I think that combined with the fact that I just enjoyed reading and science early on is probably how I found my way into medicine. That's awesome. Infectious diseases are fascinating. Yes, we are never short of work. There's always new infections or new resistance. And you never know what you're going to see every day. So it's a really fun and exciting field. So I've mentioned on the podcast before that I really enjoy listening to other podcasts. Have you heard of This Podcast Will Kill You? That one I have not, no. It's about diseases. So you might enjoy that if you ever want to go check it out. (laughs) I will have to add it to my library. I do have my handful that I listen to from our medical societies and a few other ones for fun that I listen to. But that's great. Yeah, I will have to check it out. Yeah, one of the most recent episodes was like on measles or something like that. So awesome. So can you tell us a little bit about your anosmia story? Yeah, so it was really funny. I've had, like all of us, I've had a lot of colds and I've truly had influenza. Occasionally I've had a real sinus infection that needed antibiotics. And this started off with, I think, a viral infection where I had what seemed like a cold that lasted a little over a week. And then it started to get a little worse, um, which is not uncommon when you get a secondary bacterial infection in the sinuses. And I remember one morning I went to make coffee and I made the coffee, poured the cream in, didn't really appreciate that I couldn't smell it right away, but went to take a sip and there was no taste. So I yeah. thought I to put the coffee in and looked at it and I was like, well, that's odd. So I brought it to my husband and (laughs) asked him, can you taste coffee? Can you smell coffee? And he thought I was crazy and was like, of course, it's normal. 
So then I actually ran over to our pantry and opened up ginger, garlic, onion, chili powder, and could smell nothing. Wow. What was that like for you? Honestly, I panicked a little bit because the night before I was fine. Like I was congested, but I didn't have a loss of smell or taste that was appreciable. Everything seemed normal. Um, So it made me really worried about the level of infection I had in my sinuses, especially having that medical background. And I immediately knew that there was a chance that it was a permanent loss. And you don't really appreciate how devastating that loss is until you have a period of time without it. And so, yeah, I would say I I kind of panicked a little bit about it. Yeah. So speaking of that, with your with your medical background, how do you think being a doctor with a focus on infectious diseases like you have and all of that knowledge, how do you think that impacted your anosmia experience? I think it's a bit of a double-edged sword. So I think as a physician, especially in infectious diseases, we see more of the worst case scenario of infections because most patients go to their primary care providers and get treated there. So my mind doesn't go quickly to the, oh, it'll be fine, I'll be better in a couple of days. It tends to go to the worst case scenario in the what ifs, because if I'm treating a patient, I'm considering the best and the worst case scenarios and everything in between all the time. But when it's yourself, it's hard to stay objective. Mm -hmm. So from that standpoint, I think I was probably more concerned and panicked than necessary. On the flip side, it also is a helpful piece in the fact that I know how to access the scientific literature and interpret it. So I very quickly was looking at the journal articles on sinus infections, you know, impact on taste, smell, outcome, what usually happens to give myself a better background and understanding immediately. Because yeah. although we treat those infections, we don't usually have to deal with, you know, the taste and the smell side on the infectious diseases standpoint. And so it wasn't an area of literature I was as familiar with. So probably more, a little more panic and worst case scenario impressions, you know, balanced by the fact that I could go to the literature and look it up and say, okay, most people are going to get better in a period of time. Yeah. So I actually came across your work online. I came across you online because you have written an article uh, called When You Stop to Smell the Roses and You Cannot Smell a Thing. Can you tell us a little bit about what um, prompted you to write that? Yeah, so I write blog pieces for Physicians Weekly for our University of Nebraska Medical Center Infectious Diseases account and a few other places occasionally. And one of the things we try to do is provide experts information and opinion that really helps provide education to both healthcare providers and patients. And when I lost my sense of smell and taste with this, I realized that as an infectious disease doctor, it wasn't something I had come across enough to initially be able to hold an intelligent conversation If a patient came in saying, you know, what's the likelihood of improvement? How common is this? You know, what does the literature say? And so I opted to write the piece with a personal experience because it's relatable, 
but also to add some of that science and medical literature to really help other people understand what's going on when an infection causes this. Mm -hmm. I think my background is that I had an upper respiratory infection as well. I don't, I don't have any like medical documentation of that, but that's the only thing that I can really think of. And it's been so long now that I don't know how I could go back and kind of prove it. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, It's hard because often you get a cold or an upper respiratory infection, as you say, and you don't really think anything of it because mm -hmm. we know that most of them are just going to pass. You're going to be sick for a few days and you know, that's what it is. And if you end up with some kind of negative consequence or outcome like this, it can be very tough to go back and say, in retrospect, was there something else at play? Was there a specific infection? You know, could we have done anything different? It's impossible, even with hindsight, sometimes to answer those questions. Right. So in that article that you wrote, and I'll definitely link, uh, I'll add the link to the episode, or I'll add the link to the article in the episode description, you talk about how your sense of smell started to return. So how long did your anosmia experience last, and are you fully recovered now? Sure. So I had a full 48 hours, which I know was a short period of time for most people, where I had zero smell, zero taste. It was probably close to a month before I had normal taste even come back and smell came after that. The first impact of taste, actually, I drank a ginger tea Mm -hmm. and I couldn't taste ginger, but I could get the sensation of something that seemed a little spicier, something that was different than being completely bland. And that was the first thing that started to come back. So how would you classify yourself now? Do you think you're fully recovered? I do think I'm fully recovered now. I have not noticed things that I don't smell or taste the way I remember them being. What kind of steps did you take after you, after you noticed that you had no sense of smell? Did you come across smell training to help you recover or did it just come back on its own? I don't know that I saw like clinical protocols per se for smell training, but essentially that's what I did. So I every day would line up a variety of different scents and a couple times a day, I would intentionally try to go smell different things and try to decide, can I smell anything? Do I have any sense of this? And I picked things that I was very familiar with, like ginger, garlic, chili powder. I would even try to smell like raw onion if I was cooking coffee, but took very strong smells initially and did that honestly probably at least twice a day between my clinical schedule. I would do it in the mornings when I was getting ready. And then um, when I came home at night, when we were um, making dinner, I would do the same thing again. That's so awesome. So it was just an intuitive process for you. Yeah. I think about when we do physical therapy or other types of therapies and we know that nerves are injured or damaged. You know, we are always trying to get those to fire, get them to work somehow. So intuitively it was like, okay, well, if it doesn't work and I don't think it's likely permanently gone, 
the faster I try to intentionally use that nerve and kind of get my brain and nose together again, you know, my mind, the more likely it would be that those connections would come back. Imperfect, I think, from a scientific standpoint, but logical medically. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of literature right now. I'm not a doctor, but a lot of literature from like Dr. Hummel and others that say smell training does help if it's done consistently. So I think you were on to the right thing. You know, it, again, we talk a lot about physical therapy and because I also work in the intensive care unit, we talk a lot about when nerves don't work correctly in the ICU. And that's the basis of everything from a rehab standpoint is trying to get the muscles, the nerves, the brain, all of those things working together again. So it makes a lot of sense to me. I think it's just different because it is a sensory nerve as opposed to a motor nerve. Mm -hmm. Um, So a little bit harder, I think, to know exactly how to work on that. But right. right. So how has or how was becoming temporarily anosmic? How did that impact your appreciation for the sense of smell? (laughs) You know, it really impacted my appreciation for it. Because again, honestly, it's one of those things that we so often take for granted. You, you know, if you have a sense of smell, just like if you have a, you know, your sense of vision or sound, you take those things for granted, both for pleasure, you know, smelling flowers, if you like the smell of coffee or candles or perfumes or whatever that may be, but also the sense of safety, right? The ability to smell smoke, to smell something concerning and say, that's not right, what's happening? And when you lose that, you don't realize how much and how many times on a daily basis you're relying on those senses. Yeah, that's true. It is, uh, I spoke with another person who had anosmia and is now recovered. And she was talking about how um, just walking into your home and, and feeling comfortable because it's your house smell, whether you realize that it has one or not. I just find that it is fascinating that that's just not there for a lot of people who have anosmia now. Right. And I think it's, it's something that people do derive that comfort from, you know, the smell of your home, the smell of, you know, people who have infants, the smell of the baby, right? There are some of those things that are very tied to emotional responses and connectivity and feeling comfortable. And I think for me as a physician, thinking about patients when they lose that sense of smell, you know, if you've lost it and it is long-term, you know, slowly recovering versus long-term permanent, I think one of the pieces to that, if you've had it before and lost it, is very different than if you've never had the sense of smell. Mm. But I think if you have lost it, if you were one of those people who found that to be a huge part of your level of comfort, you know, I think it a lot of retraining yourself to find new sensory stimuli that can give that same perception for you. That's a bouquet of flowers that you can see that give you that as opposed to being able to smell it. But there are, I think, ways to adapt to that differently um, so that it's not such a huge loss from that emotional and comfort standpoint, but it's going to be like anything else where it it takes a change and change is hard, but possible. True. So you mentioned earlier in the interview that you write for Physicians Weekly. 
How can listeners find your other articles? Would they just search for your name on that website? Yes. So my Twitter handle is listed on all of those articles. Um, so searching me for searching for me on Twitter is one way because Physicians Weekly does release all of the blog posts there. And my handle is at Kelly Cockett, MD. The Physicians Weekly webpage, same thing. If you type in my name, you would certainly be able to access those articles. And if you go on to social media, the articles that are written from our infectious diseases blog for University of Nebraska Medical Center also will likely pull up. Is there anything else that you'd like to add? I think the only other thing I would really like to add is for everyone who's listening that has lost their sense of smell, their sense of taste, sometimes as physicians or honestly our friends, our colleagues, it can be really hard to explain that. And sometimes the perception is that there's very little empathy for it. There's very little understanding. And part of that, honestly, is the lack of experience for many of us. And I'm glad that there is a community and that you have this podcast to remind people that they're not alone and that if it's something that you're really struggling with and recovering from, there are people, there's resources, there are physicians who understand it, there's scientific literature to help understand and go through the process of recovery. And I just want to say thank you for creating that community because I think that is a huge benefit. Thank you. Yeah, that's, it's been very useful for me. It's very therapeutic for myself to have the podcast just to talk to people who have experiences with olfactory disorders, but also it just feels great to provide a resource for others as well. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for talking with me today. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. You can find Dr. Cockett on Twitter at Kelly Cockett MD, and that's spelled K-E-L-L-Y-C-A-W-C-U-T-T-M-D. She also has her own website called paragonfire.com. Make sure to check it out. She also is available on the Physician Weekly website with her different writings. That will include the article that she wrote that I talked about at the beginning of this episode called When You Stop to Smell the Roses and Cannot Smell a Thing. So please make sure to go and check it out. It's a good read. I would like to say thank you again for all of you who donated to my Facebook campaign, which is benefiting the Monell Chemical Census Center. Thank you to Stephen, Rez, Jordana, Jeff, Becca and Terry, Mel, and my Aunt Joyce. With your generosity, we raised $325. One day, there's going to be a cure for anosmia. As always, please let me know what you thought about today's episode. What topics would you like to see covered in the future? If you have a story that you'd like to share, or if you want to be interviewed for the podcast, please email me at thesmellpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at thesmellpodcast. I'm always interested in sharing your listener stories. That's what makes the podcast great. Please rate, review, and subscribe to The Smell Podcast on iTunes. Reviews are helpful because they allow others to find the show. And finally, if you would like to financially support the podcast, you can do so by clicking on the link in the episode description. I appreciate your support. Until next time, have a great day.